You're listening to Fireside Chats Without the Fires podcast, where customer experience enthusiasts are inspired by our weekly CX practitioners and thought leaders who share their insights and knowledge. And now, here are your hosts, Neil Toff and Paul Catherall. Fireside Chats Without the Fires, Season 2, Episode 33, and it's going to be a great one. Uh, as Paul likes to say on uh, every Friday, he's buzzing. He's buzzing. I'm buzzing, and I hope our guest is buzzing, uh, to borrow from Paul's expression. Uh, this will be a great uh, learning session. We're going to take you in a different direction that you have most likely not been taken before. That's a great thing. The title of today's session, Seeing Through the CX Smoke. And you're probably wondering, what the heck are you guys talking about? What do you mean smoke? It's Friday. We're buzzing. We're not on fire. There's no smoke. Actually, we're going to talk about smoke. We're going to talk about fire because our guest today, David Wales, has a really unique background related to the fire service. David, first of all, welcome. I'm going to go read through your LinkedIn profile in just a second, but I want to make sure that we hear you, the audience hears you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to join you. So David is the founder of Shared Aim, and he's going to tell us about Shared Aim shortly. Um, and as I alluded to earlier, David was the customer experience manager, and to his knowledge, the first and I believe only customer experience manager ever at the Kent Fire and Rescue Service. And what we're going to talk about today is his chapter in the Customer Experience 3 book. The title of that chapter is Seeing Through the Smoke. Uh, similar to what we're calling this session today, that we're calling it to through the CX smoke. And we're going to understand and learn what customer experience has to do with the fire department. And you're probably scratching your head like I was when I first opened this chapter and thought, what? There's a connection between fire department and customer experience? What do you mean? So I'm going to turn that question to directly to you, David. What do you mean? Customer experience and fire department? It's a... Uh... As you say, it's an interesting concept for many people, and yet the more we looked at it, the more the parallels between what we did in the emergency services and business became very apparent. In truth, all of us get very siloed and think we have unique problems, when in truth, much of what we're trying to fix is the same across any sector. But by way of background, um, my entry into customer experience was unusual, as you mentioned. I was a fire officer um, having, I guess, a fairly standard career. I'd reached the point of having my dream job of being the fire investigation and research manager. And one day in 2009, we had a question. The public weren't behaving as we expected. When we attended fires and when they encountered fires, they were acting different to the advice that we gave them or to the expectations we had, to what seemed obvious to us. And so the thought was, if we could learn more about their behaviour, we could correct them, we could educate them and make them behave appropriately. And that became the start of a fascinating journey. I, I really got to grips with that question. And we, we led a research project that um, started out initially locally, and then I built it up and we ended up as a national study over three years with an academic partner to really understand human motivations and behaviors. And what became fascinating to me was almost from the first interview, it shattered everything I knew about my job. And despite having been on the front line at that point for over 20 years of having met the public, I knew nothing about their experience of fire. I'd entered a job that I wanted to do, that I enjoyed doing, that I'd learned the technical process of doing, 
and I carried on with my with my development, never thinking to sit down and ask the public. So when we did engage the public, it used to be to complete the questionnaire that we'd already decided was important. So we'd ask them for snippets of information. When we did the research, we said, tell us your story and your words. And both the language and the content of their experience absolutely changed my view and understanding of what the human need was, not the process of putting the fire out, but what the human harm, the human experience of an event was. So I'm scratching my head as I'm thinking this. And so remember, uh, well, you don't remember, but I remember as probably a three, four, five, six-year-old boy, at some point I dressed up for Halloween as a fireman. I probably wanted to be a firefighter at some point growing up. Uh, I wanted to jump on the uh, hook and ladder fire engine, uh, as we call them over here, and I wanted to put fires. I wanted to be brave. And my impression, and my guess is that much of the public impression, whether it's in the UK, whether it's here on, on this side of the pond, wherever the fire department is, is that fire department is there to provide a service, and that's it. Put out the fire, save lives, and be done with it, and move on. Are you telling us that? The fire department actually cares about how you feel as the victim or as a, not a participant, but someone who was affected by a fire. Like there's more to it than that. Isn't this just, just, just black and white that a fire, let's hopefully put it out, get the people out of the house or the building, save lives. There's more uh, to it than that. There is. And I think, I mean, globally, we're becoming much more appreciative of the impact of mental well-being and mental health generally. But when I spoke to people after who'd had fires, the impact that they had was not just about the loss of the building. What It was about the people, the pets, the possessions. It was the emotional effect, the feeling that they could have done more, they didn't do the right thing. Even the emotion of deciding to call us in the first place. To us, it's a straightforward, if you need us, phone. And what they told us was this very emotional process. And typically, they wouldn't call until the last moment. They tried everything they could, and then they phoned. And when you sat and thought about it from their perspective, it makes sense because we don't arrive with subtlety. And I know it'd be the same in the States. If you call the fire brigade, we'll arrive and we'll make some noise and we've got a very visible presence. So when we did that, they were very mindful of that and drawing attention to themselves. They may not want people in their property. So there's a whole thought change. Some people thought they might be charged. Some um, just didn't want the, the other attention from neighbours or anything. So there's a whole range of very personalised thoughts that went through people's mind and so you've got a very major disconnect between our understanding of what people would do and what they actually do and so you're not providing services so for example in the UK we would put your phone up um, to the emergency call handler say this is the problem I've got and we'd say we're on our way stay safe and then for the next five ten minutes it's taking us to be on the way you're on your own and we're assuming that you're following our advice of just stand out and of course, if you're watching something you love and cherish become destroyed for five minutes, that is the longest five minutes you'll ever experience because you're feeling helpless. And so often people don't follow that advice. So we become aware of an incident and then cut ties with it and turn up. So if you stood back and, and I'm very mindful, I've had, as you can imagine, some very tough and interesting conversations with colleagues around this, but you can't get away from meaning well is not the same as doing well. And you have to understand the customer experience and you have to take a, a service design process. And I think if you 
when I started understanding this disconnect, the customer experience world was the one I, I was attracted to and started to see a lot of the answers where brands really got to know their customers. I'm just going to make one point on something you mentioned earlier about saving lives. We actually did a, a report where we followed over six years. I, I built up a relationship with the Burns network and teams. And we looked at what happens to the burn survivor and built that picture end to end because they were the only one that ever would go from the event to rehabilitation. All the rest of us as services came along a point in time and did something to them. But no one of us owned the overall um, journey. And so what we found is at the fire scene, we were content to save a life and we'd have the view that we've got to get out of the building. You're lucky to be alive. Well, particularly with burns, surviving is, is a very painful experience. And by the time we're talking to the burns teams, they're wanting to get people back to pre-event conditions. So the quality of life matters. So as we started to build this picture and bring all these pieces together, you realise we didn't have a shared aim. We, at one point, we were trying to just save a life regardless. At another, we are trying to get the quality of life. And as we went through, there's all these fragmentations and disconnects that is experienced by the burn survivor. And the reality is there are people with injuries of, that today and having had gone through surgery and other treatments that could have been avoided. And I know from any of my colleagues, they don't go to work for that purpose. So it just introduces a different perspective and one that helps us take forward the skills we offer with the public need. This is fascinating. I, I'm still scratching my head. So <laughs> and by the way, this, this uh, I think is a wonderful conversation that encapsulates the dialogue that much many of our companies and many of our professionals and peers in this field deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's the topic of empathy and resolution. Full disclosure, I'm not the biggest proponent of empathy. I'm more of a proponent on resolution. Our job first is, in my opinion, is to resolve the issue. Let's resolve the issue, hopefully in the least amount of time possible, and that brings satisfaction. If we can be empathetic, if we can be the shoulder to cry on, if we can be the one to uh, actively listen and, and provide a proverbial hug, that's wonderful. But I think the priority is resolution. But what you're saying here is that empathy is critical, as critical, maybe even more critical than resolution. And if we're talking about a fire and we're just thinking out loud here with you, resolution is, I guess, is like putting the fire out, causing the least amount of damage possible. But getting the fire exterminated, getting the people, if they're harmed, into the right hands as quickly as possible. But you're saying the value of empathy really is a priority here over anything else. Is that right? I think, I mean, I accept many of your points, actually, and I have quite mixed views around where empathy sits. And I think one of the, at individual level, I think it's very hard for us to understand the circumstances of somebody else. And... I'm very much a, a proponent of being human first. I'm always a human. I'm sometimes a customer. And that means I bring with me a lot more to any interaction. But I think in terms of empathy, organisational empathy is key because it means you always want to be curious and asking questions about the experience that people need from you, what, they're what they need. And I think your point about resolution is absolutely critical because for often when we started doing that work, we would put the fire out and say, great job, we've done well. And I can tell you a very quick story. There's a, a, a mother and child, and they had a small fire that was caused, and I referenced this in the book, the 
a small fire that occurred in a meter just outside the front door, so an electrical meter. The son was in the house on his own, the mother was in the garden. The smoke came partly through the door, the flames never did. So it's a very small fire from our perspective. No one was ever in danger, but obviously a distressing event. And when I spoke to the mother nine months later, she said, I just wish you'd sent somebody to talk to my son because he still worries that he did the wrong thing or it could happen again. And I said, that's fine. I can send that. I can arrange that. And she said, it's too late now. So nine months after the fire, he had a situation where the boy's 12, doesn't always want to go out with his mum because he's just getting to that age, but certainly doesn't want to be left at home. And any of the sights, smells or sounds of fire take him back to that event. That could last for years, if not life. Now, the frustration for me is we never asked on our books, that will be a minor event that the crew probably would never remember because we've categorised it as minor. And we could have done something about it because we had appliances in that area the next day giving out leaflets to do prevention work. But the one door we didn't knock on was the one we could have done some real good, not just to prevent the harm, but we could have said to the boy, you did everything absolutely right. What's more, we're going to make you a junior firefighter. We could have given him a badge, and the next day at school, he would have got a message to a group of people that are very hard to influence, and he would have had the greatest credibility and actually gone from being scared of fire to hopefully proud of what he'd done quite rightly during that event. And it is understanding the human need, because we put the fire out. That was never in question. It was nothing. And I think we often fail to ask people what they want, and it's very individual. If I'm reminded of... Um, Another quick story. We, we did some work with some um, consultants in healthcare. Um, one of them was a, a specialist in eye care. And he said, it's funny. He said, we had a, a patient come through and he said, we just see the injury. We, we often forget the person that's with it. And he said, we gave them the great news that we thought we could restore their eyesight to near perfect level. At which point he said, please don't do that. And he said, we, we, it made no sense to us. And he said, Actually, I'm a Paralympian. I represent my country as a Paralympic athlete. If you get my eyesight back to that level, you remove the status and standing of who I am. I become just somebody who's rather good at that, but of no standing at all. And so I think for companies, for public services, we should be better at asking the individuals, what would good look like for you? Not did we do our job technically well. We should do. And that's what we're paid to do. But it's not always good to impose that on somebody with never treat them as an individual and say what is your human need yeah i think that certainly applies um in so many of our companies and by the way you need to uh you need to be good you need to be a, a solver of problems you need to understand what what makes people tick and how to keep them hopefully happy and therefore loyal want them to be returned customers. It's just such an interesting thought to uh, uh, um, apply it to, to the fire department and victims or, or people who have been affected by fires. My thought would be, um, it would be easy to say, you should just be grateful that we got here and put out your fire. Be happy. <laughs> kind of what you're adopting is like you're actually asking questions. There's a voice of customer role here. What, you know, you're, 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 you care about what they what they really think, but it's it's so interesting because there are those I think that would say just you got to be grateful for what you got, like and you can't go anywhere else. There's not a competing fire department that you're going to go to. You, you know you got to be you only have one option here. There's a monopoly and you can't really do anything about it. So just take it and be grateful and thank us. Do you hear that kind of 
reaction ever? I do a lot, and, and I've had time. I welcome challenge, as I say, none of us have got the answer. We all grow from here in different challenges. And um, I've had some fascinating debates and ones that really made me go away and think. And I think the difficulty for many organisations is we've valued organisations that build big, solid institutional type facades. And in doing that now, as we face a world that creates a lot of uncertainty, it's very difficult for them to dismantle that. When you've got public sector services, they're often monopolies, as you mentioned. They become major employers and they have a duty to their employees. And I fully understand that. That's a perfectly legitimate reason. And often for like the fire service, how would you describe, how would you know if we've done a good job or not? You wouldn't because thankfully you'll very rarely need us. And you'll be grateful in that moment of distress that somebody did something. And I remember when I was first joined, somebody I think we was all kind of flying really high with, with to use your phrase, buzzing, because we completed our training. And someone said, don't get carried away. A Boy Scout with a bucket of water would be just as welcome as you. You've got to do a good job. And, and that stayed with me. And I think to flip it back round, I thought, actually, what we have now is a point where being a monopoly is a dangerous thing. So part of my discussion with colleagues or former colleagues is you need to change because actually what what we're focused on now is improving the machinery. So if you look at where most effort goes, certainly in the UK, and I suspect it's the same in the States and many other countries, you have a, we have this fixture asset, we have a fire service. So the belief is if you keep making that better, you will get better outcomes out at the end. And the reality is that doesn't always follow when you look at it from the public's perspective. Now, to an extent for a long time, you could get away with that. What is changing now, and it's changing in health and it's changing in many markets is, some of the interventions can go direct to the public. So the best outcome for a fire is that the minute something starts to happen, it's detected and dealt with. There are technology solutions in the home that start to offer that, where they've been pre previously only available maybe in commercial premises and been very expensive. That is now starting to move the point, rather than waiting 20 minutes for somebody to arrive and deploy in fire hose, actually now we will get commercial companies offering something that says you'll never get to that point. This will detect it and deal with anything that's, that's alike within seconds, if not a minute. Now, that's more appealing to me as a member of the public, however much I love the fire service. And so I think it's actually in the interest of fire service and many other services to start to move to where's the best place for this intervention. It's not a physical response always. That's part of it. Sometimes you'll need that, but not reliance on that. And I think there are new forces coming in that will create a market further upstream. And so I, I think the selfish argument I, I give back to colleagues is, I think if you don't, you're in trouble in probably 10 years time, because at the moment already, certainly for house fires, and I know it's the same in America and UK, the public deal with about 70 to 80% of all fires in the home without ever calling the service. Despite not having any formal support or getting much, they deal with most, and we need the public to do that. We'd be overwhelmed by demand otherwise. So it needs to recognise that, but I think you'll see a bigger shift as technology and other options come in. That 80% will become 90%, will become 95%, and then some of the services as they stand at the moment start to look very expensive. So I think there is a public argument, but there's also a self-preservation argument for many of these services to say there are some great opportunities to adapt and play different roles in the community. And I know from when I joined, I loved being a firefighter, but the reality is that's not what's going to be needed in 10, 15, 20 years' time, and, and the organisation has to adapt. 
this, this is a really enjoyable chapter of this book. Again, a unique perspective. Um, not many of us know about how the fire department works, but the way the lessons that you uh, offer here are, they, they truly apply to all of us. I recommend audience that you really, of course, check out the customer experience three book, but, but pay attention to this chapter, seeing through the smoke. Uh, because this, by the way, the title does this justice. It's not telling you about, this is about the fire department or fires. This is about organizations that serve customers. Read it. I recommend it. I'd like to transition, uh, David, and ask you the things that we like to ask each of our guests and share a little insight, if you could, from your perspective. Do you have a CX myth that you would like to bust open? Something that is commonly thought of, an assumption, something that's out there that you just think is really not accurate or that you'd like to take an ax to? I think there are a number, um, but one that I guess I would share at this point is really around uncertainty. It's something that organizations seem to really try and avoid. Um, so we'd see lots of forecasting, um, lots of quantitative data and, and creating stable segmentations and personas for people. And, and as I mentioned earlier, I think we need to be better at seeing customers as human first, because I suppose before today's interview, I can look at Fireside Chat's website, I can learn a bit about you, I, I can develop an expectation of what that experience would look like. You're probably wondering, what's David going to be like today? And the truth is, I will be, to an extent, whatever news I've just had or how I'm feeling, I bring to get, I'm never the same. And I think most people that will respond differently in different circumstances. I think organizations struggle with that um, and, and keep trying to, under the heading of personalization, fix me in a point. And I, I, as an example, I, I've just canceled um, my subscription to a major streaming service because what it's done is funneled down everything I've watched into such a narrow line that I'm spending half an hour trying to find something to watch. And it's become a repetition of everything I watched for the last 10 weeks and increasingly the, the quality of, of the offering is down. I just want a good architecture that allows me to navigate the site well because I will want a comedy one day, a drama the next, and something. I don't know what that's going to be next week. I'd like to get to next week and just be able to navigate. And I think this desire to know and to and to capture and to quantify actually misses the the areas for organizations to really differentiate. There are many ways to manage uncertainty. So I, I think, as I say, this idea that we're all customers and you, you can segment me as a customer and know what I do, um, I, personally, I think it's very false. I think it's, it's driven a lot by the marketing aspect, which has got a contribution to play. But I think it's more useful and insightful to accept me as a human with all of the vagaries that come with that, the uncertainty, the, the thing, I suppose, the, uh, the, the differences. But you don't need to know me to that level. You just need to give me the right choices and options and let me choose what's appropriate. So it, it, it places the offering in a different point from personalization. And I think when you start looking at some of the issues we've got about data and, and that as well, actually it's a smarter place to be, not to keep collecting that overly personalized data and, and put organizations at risk. So uh, for me, I think avoiding uncertainty and effectively creating a false certainty um, is the myth that I would, would challenge. Outstanding. As our, one of our recent guests, uh, Rishad Tabakwala, says, poetry, not plumbing. 
absolutely the human element of this we're not only data we are data points of course but we're not only data points there's a human element to it I, I like this very much thank you for sharing that uh let's transition to the second question that we'd like to ask our guests which are two quotes well you have two quotes or quotes cx quotes that mean something to you resonate with you in your work in cx yeah i'm i'm not going to be very original with my first one um but i think it, it, it sometimes things are become sort of very popular for good reason and it's the angela mayo quote that i've learned that people will forget what you said people will forget what you did people will never forget how you made them feel and i think for me that that resonates so much that we often get lost in process and detail and in truth most of us as i say if we don't know whether the, the people followed the right process we don't particularly care for it and sometimes it is just about reassuring somebody saying look i've got you you know yeah. the rest will follow and treating people with dignity and respect and 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 again i think we quite often see organizations become quite arrogant to the public and i, I go back you know to my my original story we saw the public as stupid you know that there they were this this mass of people doing all the wrong thing and they just needed educated and, and as i spent time in that world you really and so they make perfect sense you know what they do is very conditional to their personal circumstances and priorities and they're doing every other job that we're not so they're clearly not that stupid um and i think for me that that quote is, is timeless you know it, it captures very succinctly and beautifully the fact that never forget that human contact of sometimes just making sure that people you know sort of recognize as individuals and than human and then the rest follows from there i enjoy it it is timeless it is a beautiful beautifully expressed sentiment you have a second quote that you want to share with us the other one's from ian and uh, ian golding who i'm sure many of the listeners will be uh, very familiar with and it's a phrase from his book uh, customer what which is being comfortable to not know something and admit it with a i don't know gives us the freedom to seek insight and again i love that because we often find ourselves in situations where we're asked a question and we feel the need to give an authoritative answer because of our title or our role or perceived experience. And yet, actually, I think once you break through that and get comfortable saying, I don't know, it is really liberating. And I think like many people in life, the more I've studied, the more I've learned, the less I actually know, the more questions I have. And I think it is, again, for curiosity, for insight, it's a great place to be. It stops you believing you know things and saying that's done that's ticked because the world we live in changes we change and so we we need to invite different perspectives and, and hence my company was called shared aim because I, I realized quite early on that this was never about being adversarial and saying i'm right you're wrong the richness and the value came from saying particularly when i felt reacting against somebody that, whose view i didn't share ask myself why and then rather than trying to argue against it, try and see, well, what have we got in common, but explore the difference, the different areas or the areas we disagree on with intent and purpose of understanding why we have that different view um, and making it a really positive process rather than just trying to say, I don't like your view, I'm going to try and force mine on you. Because in truth, when we get to that point, very rarely a rival's going to see to the other person. We're normally just going to keep arguing and still walk away none the wiser. So... Uh, yeah, I, I really like Ian's quote on that and just saying, let's get comfortable with saying, I don't know. It's a great place to be. Outstanding. Ian, as we're finding, is uh, quoted uh, more and more frequently as, by guests on our, our program. Uh, and he's also been recently uh, the CX hero 
of several of our recent guests. It's quite interesting to see a resurgence of his name and, and we're big fans over here. So talking about CX heroes, I'm really curious, who are your CX heroes? Uh, there are many and many, but um, I should give you just a few. And again, the several of the names will be familiar to you, um, I'm sure. Uh, Christopher Brooks, I've got to mention. Um, I first met Christopher many years ago at an event and uh, he initiated the conversation and we stayed and at that time I was very much alone just starting to work in the fire service and he offered very welcome support at the time and I think I've always valued what Christopher's done it's for his generous encouragement to everyone I think obviously the world games has been an outstanding initiative from Christopher and I think it, it perfectly encapsulates his leadership and I, I coming from the fire service background we, we often have a view of leadership as being very command and control. I, I believe genuinely that Christopher is one of these, the new wave of leadership. He leads by the example he sets and the, the uh, actions and of his nature. And uh, so I think I say for me, Christopher exemplifies everything. He does good for the world. He's very generous in his support of others and clearly very good as a CX proponent as well. He sure is. We're big fans on the podcast of Christopher and his work with the CX World Games. We were the podcast voice of the recent edition of the games. So we got to work very closely with him and the team and observe uh, really just the benevolent work and incredible spirit he has towards uh, not only the CX community, but the world at large. You're right. He embodies leadership. He is what a leader should be and is a new generation of such. We're, we're a huge fan of Christopher. Thank you so much for sharing his uh, you know, his being a CX hero for you. Who else is on your list? This is, this, uh, this is, I'm really curious to see. The rest I've of also got Claire Muscat, Muscat um, who I'm sure again, many of you will be familiar with, who set up the Women in CX recently and has done an absolutely outstanding job. Again, you know, great to hear her thoughts, great to see what she's achieved, how she inspires and energizes and uses her previous experience. And like many people, has had to pivot during the pandemic, but has really attacked it and seen it as an opportunity. And I think. Uh, Again, for many, Claire will be an inspiration. And I, I think her story um, and and work over the next years will be absolutely fascinating to follow as it grows. Who else is on the list? James Dodkin, of course, the CX rock star, who uh, has been providing me some great support. Um, I've, I've learned a lot from James. Um, and I was very interested in how he used, again, his previous career to inform what he does now. Um, you'll understand, I see many parallels between how I can do that with the fire service, bringing that into CX in the way that he's used his rock career to bring into CX. And again, just a very generous, personable and uh, great CX professional. Likewise, we're huge fans of James. He was a recent guest on the podcast and uh, we are, uh, we talked about fandom um, and, and the relationship between being a fan of something, a rock group, um, a brand, Etc. Uh, we are fans of James, and uh, we, we we very much appreciate his work. It's good to hear his name as well. Who else? Right, and I've also got on here again. You know, sort of probably no surprises, but Ian Golden. Um, I think what I, one of the many things I love about Ian's role is he's still, whilst he's very well established, and actually for him, probably the uh, the safe path is just to enjoy the status he has in the CX community. He still constantly challenges. He still constantly questions, um, and doesn't let things go into becoming myth, myths and uh, too established. And I think it's a great credit to Ian that having reached such a position in the industry, he still wants to question and challenge and push it forward. And 
Um, certainly, again, during the pandemic, he set up the CX Cares Group and, and supporting many other people through, on a personal basis, through a really difficult time, providing that network. It was a very generous act and, again, shows the real human compassion as well as being an exemplary CX professional and inspirations to many of us. Who else? You have, a, you have another list of some people that are not as well known in companies. Feel free to run through those, through, through, through some or all of those. Okay, of course. Um, there's a local uh, company based in the UK called the British Blanket Company um, who were fantastic. We bought, my partner bought a, a blanket from them, um, which our dog thought looked very much like food. And so within minutes of being in the house, set about eating a hole in it, um, much to the dismay of my partner. And uh, we contacted the British Blanket Company and they were fantastic in uh, the way they responded. They sent us a, a, a replacement patch so we could repair it and uh, and did some really nice touches around the way that they responded and and, and shared um, the experience. So they were great, the British Blanket Company. Lee Day are a company who, um, a legal firm in the UK that have been very generous in their support of the work we did about burn survivors um, and just the way they treat us. They, they arranged a webinar for us and we brought together a burn survivor, myself and my co-author for the research and some other people. But the way they treated all of us and put the event on and subsequently kept in touch and offered support have been absolutely fantastic. A real joy to work with them. Um, and just a couple of others. There's a local business association, Haywards Heath Business Association, where I'm based. Um, again, a really nice, friendly network. Um, fantastic. I joined them during the, the pandemic and I've tended to always join national groups. And it's been really refreshing just to have that local network not necessarily for CX, but just for people that are setting up businesses or can offer and share human experiences around what they've done. And probably the last one I'm going to make is just um, my the Fiona, who's um, at a company called Fat Promotions, um, which is uh, doing the website for me at the moment. And again, a great experience of working with them. It's been an absolute joy. And uh, um, if, if all companies were like that to work with, it'd be a much easier place. Wonderful to see and hear names of individuals and companies that not everybody knows. Local businesses, smaller businesses, uh, the underdog, so to speak, I think. Uh, so it, it's great to hear those, those call out. Thank you so much for sharing those. Um, I think as we wrap up today's session, um, just underscoring the importance of being close to your customers. And your customers, by the way, are not just the people that are buying your product or service, the ones that are using your product or service, and that extends to things like the fire department. Um, it's amazing to also think and consider that uh, voice of customer and empathy uh, are concepts and values that uh, don't just apply to your typical person coming in and out of a store or a website. It does also apply to uh, the people that have been victims or have been part of a fire and there's significant data that can be collected, studied, and learned from. Those are my takeaways uh, from uh, the interview today and from seeing through the smoke and seeing through the CX smoke. I'm so grateful that you joined us today. I, I appreciate it. For our audience, what do we have to look forward to next from you? Are you writing things? Are you doing some different type of work? What can we look forward to hearing from you next? Um. I'm redeveloping the website at the moment, and um, as part of that, really looking, as I say, my, 
I've spent a lot of time taking CX into the humanitarian emergency sectors and, and still advocate for that. What I'm now doing is really writing up um, and applying what I've learned from those sectors and how they inform CX. Because you say the lessons come straight across. There are so many areas where there are direct parallels. I'm also started on a book, um, which is to say looking at human experience as a start point, um, which is that, that human first concept. And so that um, I'm hoping to do some interviews as we go through the next few months and um, that will we'll start to release some of that over the next month. Um, I've got there's a re number of reports coming out that I, I and articles that I've written. Um, so, yeah, I'll be popping up in different places. But for the next two or three months as well, there's a lot of um, work ready for kind of some launches and um, and that in the new year. Wonderful. Well, we would love to have you come back when you are ready to launch the book. Uh, we want to be able to promote it, tout it, talk about it, uh, study it, learn from it, and certainly ask you questions about it. Um, David Wells, you've been a, a great guest. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your ideas, your creativity, and for making us think and view things differently and seeing things through the smoke. Thank you for being a guest today on Fireside Chats Without the Fires. Thank you. Audience, Pleasure. Thank you. Audience, uh, concluding season two, episode 33. As always, please rate and review us. We like your feedback. We want to see through the smoke and understand and have clarity on what you thought of this session and all of our sessions. Please always share feedback with us. Concluding Fireside Chats Without the Fires. Looking forward to uh, having you back, um, audience, for our next session and sessions to come. Thank you so much. The episode is over, but the conversation continues. Please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Post a comment and subscribe to stay on the leading edge of customer experience. To get in touch or be a guest, follow us on Twitter at ChatsFires or on LinkedIn or in your podcast repository of choice. Thank you.